Well, the writer there is looking ahead to a time when the day of grace will be past and gone. That's not today. It's still a day of grace. The door is wide open to heaven, but there will come a time, and uh, the Bible's very clear, and these repeated truths come throughout the Scripture. There will be a shout that everybody will hear. Uh, there will be a trumpet blast, and there will be the appearing, and every eye will see him. The first advent of Christ was uh, secret and silent, and so very few knew. Not so his return. Around about 8.2 billion are uh, crawling over planet Earth right now. And uh, when he returns, and don't ask me how it could happen, I know the Earth is a globe, I'm not a flat earther, but every eye will see him when he returns. He's able to do that. He is almighty God. And uh, Malachi is coming to a great climactic uh, conclusion. It is the final book of uh, what we have as the Old Testament, both the Christian and the Jewish Old Testament. Well, the Jewish scriptures finished with Malachi. This was the last uh, voice from the prophets. Then, 400 years odd of silence, and then uh, the Elijah who was to come came, John the Baptist uh, declaring, prepare ye the way of the Lord. But uh, the climax here is particularly pointing to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Malachi is all about uh, dead religion. Sadly, the people of God had fallen into a dead, deathly religiosity, uh, which uh, I was never attracted to. Some people quite enjoy religion, and many will go to churches tonight because they enjoy Things like, I don't know, uh, even song or a particular style of service. Some will go because there's quite a, a, a lively band playing. They've got a friend playing in the band. Others, they'll be drawn to their favorite preacher. And these are all various liturgies and religiosity. But when I was uh, converted, I told you when I was converted and where, I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but... Um, there was no interest in religion, and somebody said to me, well, we're not into religion here. This is reality. What you're being offered through Jesus Christ is a, a living relationship with the God who is the creator of the universe. Now that, that, that is something worth thinking uh, about. I, I wouldn't give tuppence for uh, religiosity, but if there is, and since there is a reality to be known, well, I'm all for that, and so uh, I was drawn to inquire uh, further. But in Malachi's time, people who maybe began well have turned back, and um, it's John Benton who has a commentary on Malachi, and the title is a very apt one, Losing Touch with the Living God. Now, has that happened to me? Has it happened to you as the Lord's people? Because if we do... We degenerate into religion. And the marks, we do this really, one of the marks, little things become really important. Um, the types of hymn, the, the tunes that are chosen, the uh, smile or lack of smile on the door, the style of the, the coffee, 
Uh, it's really, really, little things are really, really uh, important. Where compared to reality, you have come to the living God. These things really should have no importance at all. But in Malachi's time, they've degenerated into dead religious, deathly religious activity. And they're saying things such as this, chapter 3 and verse 14. You have said, God says to the people, listen to this, here are God's people, it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed, the arrogant people, they're the blessed ones. These are God's people uh, speaking. And those who do wickedness, they're the ones who are raised up. What profit is there in serving God? It is useless to serve God. What's the point, they're saying? Why should we bother going to these religious services? Uh, have we reached that sort of a conclusion? Well, clearly not, because here we are tonight. But is it worth being here? Is it worthwhile? Are you glad that you came this morning? Are we glad to be here again this evening? If it's just religion, I'd agree with them. Well, what is the point? They might as well stay at home watching Newport County playing Manchester United. I think that's happening at the moment. It's probably finished by now, but many are doing that. What's the point of worshipping God? And uh, their worship services were heartless and slipshod. Chapter 1 and verse 13, God accusing the people. You also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? Oh, what a weariness as they come to worship the living God. And God says this is unacceptable and rightly so. Verse 14 of chapter 1. Cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Half-hearted worship. What does God desire? Well, chiefly, he desires this. Proverbs it's 23, 27, is it? My son, give me your heart. And through this falling away, losing touch with reality, half-hearted worship, families are falling apart. Chapter 2, dominated by family breakdown, divorces, uh, intermarriage, marriage and divorce and remarriage. Godless children are produced and family life is falling apart. But in the midst of all this, there is a group of faithful believers who maintain and seek to encourage amongst themselves the reality of true religion. Chapter 3 and verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord. What a description for a godly believer. Somebody who has that fear of the Lord. And uh, fear is a good word. 
Oh, how I fear thee, living God, with deepest, tenderest fears. He is God. And when that trumpet sounds, we're thinking with some folks, was it here last, last week we were thinking, what will it be like when the trumpet sounds, when we're summoned into his presence? I think we sang uh, Wesley's great hymn at the end of last week's service. Um, and can it be? Bold I approach the eternal throne. How will you approach when that trumpet sounds? When that shout comes that everybody will hear? When every eye sees him, even as a believer? How, how will we approach? Well, there is a right fear of God. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. There remained in Israel at the time, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, those who still loved the Lord and they fellowshiped together. And Tozer's got that lovely phrase. I'm sure I've used it before, certainly in going through Malachi. He talks of those who belong to the fellowship of the burning heart. Now, is, is that us? Is that us? Really, the people are saying in Malachi's time, what is the point of serving God? Is there any difference between the believer and the unbeliever, between the godly and the ungodly? And towards the end of Malachi, God is showing, well, clearly, there absolutely is Verse 17 of chapter 3. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. What is the point? All oh, the weariness of it all. There is no difference, the people are saying. There is, says God, and a day is coming when the distinction will be absolutely clear. One side or the other. The greater size, the great divine, that final judgment. When will this be? Into chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming. Now, it hasn't happened yet. There have been, under the hand of God, many great days. Oh, what a day when uh, the Lord spoke and hears the voice of the eternal Son of God, the Word of God speaking in the darkness, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and God said, let there be light, and there was light. That day of creation. And Job tells us that the, on the day of creation, the angels of God sang together in delight. At that day of creation, there was another great day, the day of the incarnation, when the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. 
And that great angelic choir was singing uh, in the air, glory to God in the highest on an earth, peace, goodwill towards men on whom his favor rests. There was that great and dark day, but what a day, that day of days, Calvary. John 19 and verse 30, when Jesus cries out on Calvary, tetelestai, it is finished, accomplished, completed, the eternal plan is completed. That day, Calvary, what a day. Three days later, oh, what a day. That day of resurrection. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. Again, angels involved. He is not here. He is risen. The day of ascension, we can read about in Acts chapter 1 and verse 9. Uh, Forty days after the, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's there speaking with the disciples, and physically he is lifted up from the earth, and they're staring, and clouds hide him from view. What a day! And then angels appear again. They're very much involved uh, in all these great days. Uh, men, why are you looking up? This same Jesus who has ascended, will return in the same way you saw him ascend, so he will descend. Shortly afterwards, that great day of Pentecost, the Lord Jesus promised he would pray the Father who would send the Comforter. And all that day of Pentecost and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, what a day that was. And in Jerusalem, what a kerfuffle took place. And the gospel declared, and we're told about 3,000 were converted. You might say, oh, for days such as that again. We're far within the mark, and we underestimate. There will be way more than 3,000 people added to God's kingdom today when we take it on a worldwide scale. There are places in the world today where Multitudes are being added. Although in the West, and particularly in Britain, and sadly in Wales, it's a day of small things. We were hearing yesterday from Ian Parry at the MW Training Day, an excellent address from him. At the moment, the tide is out. But it's not long since the tide was in, in Cardiff, the spiritual tide. And when John Pugh, under God's hand, planted churches such as this. They were built this big because multitudes were being drawn into the kingdom in the 0405 revival, 1859. We're thinking this morning, 100,000 people added in a few months to God's kingdom. But at the moment, the tide is out. But in other parts of the world, the tide is very much in. Oh, the day of Pentecost. All these great days prophesied and fulfilled. But this day, this day is still to come. It is the only major prophecy still to be fulfilled. The only major prophecy still to be fulfilled. The return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a day that is set. No man knows the day or the hour. And Jesus Christ said while he was here, when it comes to his humanity, fully God, fully man, one person, two natures, fully human, fully divine, when it comes to my human nature, I don't know, the Father knows. Of course, God knows everything. So in his 
divine nature, of course he knew. But in his humiliation, only my Father in heaven knows it's a day set. Well, it's been 2,000 years now. You know, within 40 years of the uh, ascension of Jesus Christ into glory, scoffers were saying, where is this promise of his coming? And uh, it's Peter who argues in 2 Peter chapter 3, you ought to be glad he hasn't come yet and rejoice because it's still a day of grace. And if the trumpet sounded right now, my friend, wherever age you might be, where would you be? Because when the trumpet sounds, the day of grace is over and it will end at some point. God has been immensely patient God desires, and I can't reconcile this, God desires that how many would you be willing to lose of humanity? Will there be more in heaven than there will be in hell? I mean, Spurgeon's got a great sermon on, on that, and uh, you can dig it out, and he comes to an interesting conclusion, and I'm pretty sure I agree with him. I won't spoil it for you in case you want to read it, but it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful sermon. But how many would you be willing to see lost? Will you be happy with just slightly more in heaven than there would be in hell? Well, here's the heart of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God desires that none. See, if you end up the wrong side of that divide. And it's the gulf that is fixed at that point. It's not fixed now, there's a bridge. And that bridge is Christ. He's forged the bridge between us and the glory of heaven. He's opened the gates and the Spirit is beckoning you in right now. Come to Christ. You know the Gospel. You're the sinner. And only Jesus Christ can do helpless sinners good. And the way in is so very, very simple. Repent and believe. Turn away from self. Turn away from what you are. You're a sinner. And turn away from what you've done. You've sinned. And turn to Jesus Christ, your only hope. On that day, is it worth serving God? There will be a great distinction. I said it's the only major prophecy yet to be fulfilled. There are around about 66,000 verses in the Bible. There are around about 2,000 prophecies referring to the return of Jesus Christ. That's one in every 30 verses or so would be a reference to this great event that hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. Every other great day's happened. This is the only one still outstanding. The only major prophecy of the Bible still to be fulfilled. The earliest prophecies, well... Although we don't know from Genesis what Enoch prophesied, we do know from Jude that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, was a prophet. He died at the young age. Do you know how old Enoch was when he died? He was relatively young for his age. He was only 365. And uh, we're told that Enoch walked with God, then he was no more. Because God took him away. He took him to be with himself. Now, the average age at that time to live was around 850. So, he was a, a nipper at 365. 
But while he was here, he'd been prophesying. And uh, Jude tells us one of his prophecies in Jude's short letter, just one chapter, verse 14. Now Enoch, the seventh generation from Adam, so Adam's great, 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 great grandson. So not, not far, not far. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes. Listen to this prophecy. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and to all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Four times there. What is it to be away from God? Which is to be ungodly. Ungodly. What does that mean? To live as if God wasn't there. To go my own way. And yet he's the source of all good. And if I'm not yet a Christian, God is still being good to you. Isn't it good to breathe? I was thanking God this morning. I'm thanking Him tonight for something as simple as paracetamol, which Enoch wouldn't have known about, the seventh from Adam. Don't know if they had roots that they chewed. I mean, there are all sorts of medications that they, they worked out, and uh, we've refined it to a fine art, but I, I'm very grateful. And just a sense of well-being and breathing and eating and having families and going into a church building and warmth and pastimes and hobbies and interests... It's the common grace of God, but the time comes when all that is withdrawn if we refuse to come to the Saviour. Well, what will this day be like? For behold, the day is coming now, burning like an oven. Similes are used here. There is a burning. It's like an oven. Now, an oven... I think ours at home will reach about 220 degrees, but the ancient ovens, the stone ones, you put the fire in, you'd heat up the bricks, you'd rake it out, maybe 400 degrees centigrade inside the oven. It's pretty hot. We're learning about the sadness in uh, Port Talbot and the closing down of the blast furnaces. And there are scientists here who could tell you all about the, the Bessemer process and the temperatures reached in the blast furnace, 1,300 degrees centigrade. But this is a theme repeated time after time, that when Christ returns, and in that judgment there will be fire and great heat. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7 when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his holy angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I've already quoted a little uh, from 2 Peter, but 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. 
But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. That phrase, that little word again, ungodly men. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It will be surprising at a time when we don't expect him. I mean, there are signs still to be fulfilled, it seems, before Christ does return. There's much that the Lord has to say uh, about his ancient people. But God can revive and restore in an instant. It could happen tonight that a multitude of Jews are swept into the kingdom. Then the trumpet blasts, the angel shouts, and Christ returns. Don't delay thinking, well, there are certain signs it couldn't happen tonight. Of course it could happen tonight. They were like a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works in it will be burned up. Verse 12, looking for and hasten. No, hold on, verse, yes, verse 12. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Now, I'm a chemist by training, so elements and melting and heat, I know a little bit about the blast furnace. 1300 degrees centigrade is so hot because it needs to be so hot to melt iron and then to produce steel, mixing the iron with a little bit of carbon and other things as well, a little bit of alloy, and uh, you, you'll produce lovely steel, so useful in building and manufacturing. Fervent heat at the return of Jesus Christ. Heat, the word here is pyru, pyrolysis. Melt, to liquefy, the Greek word means Elements, the stoichion. That's a word for the orderly basics from which things are built. So stoichion, letters produce words. Elements produce stuff. The most difficult element to melt is tungsten. But if it reaches 3,420 degrees... Tungsten turns from a solid into a liquid. It's why tungsten was used in the old style of lamps. You blow the glass, create a vacuum, you put a tungsten filament in, pass an electric current through, it glows because it doesn't melt. It's very high temperature, but it doesn't melt until 3,420. There is a substance which is extremely hard, and uh, we're told that they are uh, a girl's best friend, diamonds. Now, it might surprise you <clears throat> that diamonds are nothing but a particular structure of carbon. So the same stuff that you would have in a lead pencil, uh, carbon, uh, graphite, but a certain structure together in its crystals forms diamond, a very, very hard substance. Can you melt diamond? Well, you can. 4,700 degrees centigrade, 
but at the same time you need 10,000 atmospheres of pressure to keep it together and at that point the diamond in your ring ladies will actually liquefy and begin liquid diamond can you imagine that well when Christ returns such a fervent heat that all the elements even the most hard and unmeltable will dissolve and melt, we are told. To what end? To the creation, 2 Peter 3 and verse 13, of a new heaven and a new earth. And at that point, a great, great distinction. As Christ returns, same event, same heat, two effects. One, the effect of judgment and vengeance. So back to Malachi, and I've lost Malachi now. Here he is, he's back again. And all the proud on that day, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. Those who don't consider God here and now, we'll find that when Christ returns, he does not consider them. Their decisions through life will be fixed. And there are many who will have great surprises on that day and pray that nobody here will have that great shock of thinking they were okay when actually they weren't. Test yourselves, we're told in the Corinthian epistle, and make sure you are in the faith, a basic test that we can apply. And some of us, through a sermon like this, will end up being all worried and perplexed because we're that sort of disposition. There are others who, well, it will just bounce uh, off them. I don't know whether it's good to be introspective or, or, or not, but on occasions we ought to examine ourselves and see whether we are in the faith because the Lord Jesus Christ himself has got this to say. Matthew 7, 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? I was a preacher. Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, It's all about knowing him. Not just knowing about. It's not dead religion. It's not deathly religion. Do I have that reality? That relationship with him? My friends, we need to keep it real. And it will show. It will show. Little things will stay little things. And we'll major on the majors and the minors will fade away. As long as we keep him real in our hearts. For those who do not obey the gospel, that day is a dreadful day. There's no refuge. But I want to finish now and focus on the other effect. What a day that will be. Verse 2 of Malachi 4. But to you who fear my name, those who have that reality, The Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in His wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. But you, same event, same heat, 
But for those who fear his name, that fervent heat of the sun, now if we took that literally, the sun on its surface, 5,500 degrees centigrade, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. What a, what a picture. Now all the sadnesses, all the mess, all the devastation, when that trumpet sounds, when the archangel shouts, when Christ returns, all wars will cease. He maketh wars to cease to the ends of the earth. All guns will be silenced. All rantings of dictators will end. The trumpet sounds, everything stops. Time itself is suspended. England about to win a test match perhaps in, in India what a wonderful result that was. What a, what a victory. But imagine now, about to crack the winning runs, the ball's about to cross the boundary. It would have been a great victory. But the trumpet sounds. Stop. Come to judgment. All is forgotten. FA Cup final, 89th minute. The strikers through, about to score. It's nil-nil. And suddenly the trumpet sounds, stop. The goal is never scored. No one thinks another thought about it because called to judgment. All things finish and Jesus Christ, the Son of Righteousness, rises with healing in His wings. All that is wicked is put away and righteousness shines brightly forever and forever all things will be as they always should have been had sin not entered into the world. And in fact, the hymn writer's got it right in him. The tribes of Adam boast more blessings than their father lost. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have a man in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of my favorite prophecies, the book of Isaiah and chapter 11. We're coming towards a conclusion, don't worry. When Christ returns, people say, you know, will, there be, will my dog be in heaven? There will be dogs in heaven. Will there be animals in heaven? There will be animals in heaven. Let me show you something of the scene. I love this prophecy. The wolf, now the last wolf left these, well, died and never wolves returned to Britain in the 17th century. I think the last known one was in Scotland. The wolf will dwell, live with the lamb. How could that be? Righteousness. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf with the young lion and the fatling together. And as all these animals, they, we got a wolf, we got a leopard, we got a lion, we got a cow, we got a, a lamb, we got, we, they're all there. And all, look who's leading them, a little child. He's leading, what is a picture of something very, very wonderful? 
I'd love to give a lion a hug, wouldn't, well, I don't know if, I was going to say, wouldn't, wouldn't you? Maybe you wouldn't. But we'll be able to. We'll be, oh, Lord, are restored. The cow and the bear will graze. Now, bears seem quite cuddly. Don't get too near a bear. Goodness me. Fearsome animals. Their young ones shall lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. A nursing child will play by the cobra's hole. A weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Wow, what a day that will be. One more scripture, then a, a quotation from C.S. Lewis, and then we'll sing a final hymn. I have to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for this great, great day. Verse 50, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, there's that trumpet again. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will rise, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be the saying be brought to pass, that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Distinction on that day. Where will you be? Let me close with this quotation. C.S. Lewis wrote an essay entitled The Eternal Weight of Glory. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are in some degree helping each other to one of these two destinations, an eternal glory or an eternal horror. In the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people, right? There are no ordinary people. Everybody you meet, everybody in this building is destined to be an eternal glory or an eternal horror. It all turns on what we think and what we do with the Lord Jesus Christ. There are no mere mortals, says C.S. Lewis. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, 
arts, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a mere gnat. But it is immortals who we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, certainly, but our merriment must be of that kind, and it is in fact the merriest kind which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. There are no ordinary people. What are you this evening? What is your destination? What do you think of Christ? Have you trusted him? The trumpet will sound. The archangel will shout. We will be gathered together. Where will you be on that day? My friends, now is a day of grace. Now the door is wide open. Now it's as if the ark is there. The door is open. Noah didn't shut the door of the ark. God shut it eventually. 120 years come on board the ark. God is patient with you, not wanting any to perish. Oh, my friends, tonight, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And on that great day, oh, what a glory it will be. Let's pray together. Father, these are solemn words. There is a hell to be avoided. But thanks be to God, there is a way of avoiding it. There is a hell to be gained. Thanks be to God, there is a way to gain that heaven. To avoid hell and gain heaven, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Oh, help us to take these matters seriously as your people. And if we're not yet saved here tonight, to repent and to trust in the eternal Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. To your name be all glory, we pray. Amen. Well, let's sing a final hymn. It's quite a brief one. 286, a translation done by uh, Stuart, uh, by Graham Harrison. Lead, Lord Jesus, my frail spirit to that rock so strong and high. Rock of ages, thee I'll praise. 286.
do seize the moment and come to that rock of ages. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.